We thank you for the opportunity we have to sit together this morning under your word and to reflect together on these profound words of Jesus. And we pray that as we do so, that the weight of them would come home to our hearts and we would be more deeply appreciative of all the Lord Jesus has done uh, that enables us to be ready for that final day of judgment, uh, a day which we need not dread when we put our trust in Christ. Amen. Well, in 2011, a Christian pastor and author by the name of Rob Bell published a controversial but popular book that called into question the Christian traditional belief in hell. Uh, This book was popular indeed. It got to number two on the New York Times bestseller list, and it was called Love Wins. Uh, Looking at his website, uh, this is what Rob Bell says about his book, and I've got it also on the screen. He says this, first, I believe that Jesus' story is first and foremost about the love of God for every single one of us. It is a stunning, beautiful, expansive love, and it is for everybody everywhere. A staggering number of people have been taught that a select few Christians will spend forever in a peaceful, joyous place called heaven, while the rest of humanity spend forever in torment and punishment in hell with no chance for anything better. It's been clearly communicated to many that this belief is a central truth of the Christian faith, and to reject it is, in essence, to reject Jesus. This is misguided and toxic and ultimately subverts the contagious spread of Jesus' message of love, peace, forgiveness, and joy that our world desperately needs to hear. There are a growing number of us who have become acutely aware that Jesus' story has been hijacked by a number of other stories, stories Jesus isn't interested in telling, because they have nothing to do with what he came to do. The plot has been lost and it's time to reclaim it. Well, there we have it. So what did Jesus come to do? Well, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus articulates various reasons as to why he came. And the one we're looking at today would not sit very comfortably with Rob Bell. Because we find, firstly, that Jesus brings the fire of God's judgment on the last day. Look at verse 49. He says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Uh, Well, what does he mean? What is this fire of which he speaks? Well, fire is a common picture in the Bible for judgment. Uh, Back in Luke chapter 3, verse 9, John the Baptist warned, and he said this, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. A little while later, in chapter 3, verse 17, John gave this warning about the Messiah who would come after him. He said this, He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, Jesus' words echo the warnings of judgment in the Old Testament prophets. Uh, The Old Testament ended with the Lord warning Through the prophet Malachi, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. 
All the arrogance and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. So, uh, part of Jesus' mission is to bring in that day when the fire of God's judgment is brought upon the earth. It's not something that Jesus is embarrassed about. He says, how I wish that it were already kindled. He wants the fire to be lit and he wants the judgment to happen. Here's the question. Why would Jesus long for that day? Doesn't that sound somewhat bloodthirsty or vindictive? Well, there is no denying that it will be a tragic and devastating day for everyone who has not made their peace with God through Christ. Uh, Jesus warns about the reality of hell with tears in his eyes. However, we know that not only will it be a tragic day, but also a glorious day. Jesus longs for God to be glorified, and he looks forward to the day when God's glory will once again fill the whole earth. You see, the fire metaphor doesn't just convey the idea of destruction, but also of refining. In banishing evil, God at the same time purifies his creation. So if you like, there are two sides of the same coin. So on that day, not only is all sin and evil banished from the creation, everything is perfectly renewed and restored. Sadness and sickness will be no more. Death and disaster will be a thing of the past. So you see, consequently, Jesus is not alone in longing for that day. So is the whole of creation, at Romans 8, verse 19. Uh, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, talking about the day of Christ's return. And then at verse 21, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And on that day, uh, not only will the creation be renewed, but all injustices will be settled. Uh, perfect justice will be administered. Every evil act will be dealt with. Uh, those who seem to have escaped justice will be raised to face Jesus in judgment. Consequently, it isn't just Jesus who is longing for that day. So also are God's people who have suffered injustice and death at the hands of evil people. In Revelation chapter 6, we hear the spirits of the slain believers in heaven crying out and saying this, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? But Jesus didn't just come to bring the fire of judgment. He also came to save us from the fire of judgment, as he makes clear in the next verse, verse 50. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Here, the metaphor for judgment changes from water, sorry, from fire to water. Jesus is speaking of his death on the cross, and he calls it a baptism because on the cross he would be submerged in the waters of God's judgment. 
Uh, water along with fire is another biblical picture for judgments. Uh, think of the waters of the flood, for example, in the days of Noah. As Jesus died in our place, taking on himself the punishment our sins deserve, he went down into the waters of judgment as baptism symbolizes. And the prospect of this baptism on the cross fills Jesus with utter dread. We get a glimpse of his inner emotions when he says, how distressed I am until it is completed. Now, to different degrees, we can all relate to the dreadful experience of being stressed about something in the future. It's constantly on our minds. It disturbs our sleep. It may even affect our appetite. Whatever stresses that we have experienced pales in comparison to the stress that Jesus endured when contemplating the cross. Jesus knew the full horrors of what lay ahead. And it wasn't just the physical suffering. He was going to call down the fire of God's judgment onto himself. He would writhe in the relational agony of being separated from God the Father. So Jesus has come to bring the fire of God's judgment on the earth, but he has also come to bear that same judgment fire for us. Do you see what that means about his motivations? As the one who will bring the fire of God's judgment on the earth, is he driven by vindictiveness? Of course not. As the one who takes the fire of God's judgment into his own heart, we know that he is rather galvanized by love. That the judge of all the earth loves you and he loves me. And he desires more than anything that we rest in his love rather than melt under his judgment. So our response to Jesus in this life is all important. And it determines whether on the day of his judgment we are saved or we are banished. And that's what we see next. Uh, Consequently, the gospel divides people. As some accept and others reject Christ, uh, rather than unifying the people of the world, Christ actually is deeply divisive. Verse 51. Uh, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. That's so much for Jesus being the prince of peace, people may say. Well, it depends what kind of peace they mean. When Jesus returns, there will be cosmic peace through the judgment and the renewal of all things. Until then, through Jesus, we do have peace with God, peace in our hearts and peace with others who believe the gospel. But he has never claimed to bring peace on earth in general. Reconciliation with God can mean separation from others. Uh, Jesus' coming brings division. And Jesus goes on to warn that this fault line would even run right through families. Verse 52. Uh, From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This month's Open Doors prayer letter invited us to pray for an Indian pastor 
and his wife, who had been brutally attacked by a Hindu extremist group. Uh, They were praying in their home when five men forced their way in with a hammer. They attacked the couple, leaving them both with severe injuries. And the pastor suffered a fractured shoulder and the wife received severe head injuries. What is particularly shocking about this story is that four of the five assailants were the pastor's brothers. There can be few aspects of Christian discipleship as painful as this. Families divided by different responses of family members to Jesus. Family bonds being strained and even broken as people oppose those who follow Jesus. It was the great Anglican bishop, J.C. Ryle, who wrote, Nothing annoys some persons as much as the conversion of their relatives. So why did Jesus teach about this? Jesus wanted those who follow him to be ready and to be prepared for it. Painful and devastating though it is, Jesus would encourage those who suffer the loss of family to remember that what they gain through the gospel is far, far greater. Uh, His words, of course, in Mark 10 speak directly to this. He says this, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Well, Jesus could sense that many in the crowd who were listening to what he was saying that day uh, were skeptical about him. How could this man be the end-time figure who would bring God's judgment on the world? Uh, They were already heading down the path of disbelief. And yet, of course, they had every reason to believe in him. Uh, His miracles and his authoritative teaching were unique. And yet, in spite of all that, they were leaning towards rejecting him. So Jesus issues this challenge, verse 54. He said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, It's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Well, you don't have to live in the UK long to realise that the Brits love to talk about the weather. And maybe because it's so flipping miserable. It's a national pastime. Uh, I had to find a new source of banal conversation when I went to Indonesia because the weather there has basically the same cycle every day. And it doesn't really change much throughout the year. It's either wet or very wet. Uh, The people in Jesus' day were a bit like the Brits, not the Indonesians. They were constantly talking about the weather. Uh, They became amateur weather experts. They could interpret the signs. And so Jesus uses it as a means of challenging them. They could read the climatic signs to predict the weather, but they were totally missing the point when it came to reading the spiritual signs about Jesus. And in that sense, they were utterly blind. And so as a result, 
Uh, Jesus urges them to make a good and right choice and does so by means of a parable about a person in a financial dispute. Uh, The person accused owes a large sum of money and unless they settle out of court, they're going to end up in the debtor's prison. Uh, Verse 57. Uh, Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way. Or he may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, what's Jesus' point? Well, it is a picture of our situation with God. Uh, because of our sin, each of us owes a debt to God which we can never repay. We have a massive spiritual debt to him, which is going to be called in. And if our case does go to court, we haven't a chance of winning. It's going to go against us. And we will find ourselves thrown into the prisons of hell until the last penny is paid, which of course it can never be. Yet God is offering everyone an out-of-court settlement. And this is our only hope. As he says in verse 58, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way. So as we close, uh, I'd like to explore two ways in which this passage speaks meaningfully into our lives today. And the two basic applications are this, uh, having faith in Christ and having faith in Christ's judgment. Uh, For some people, there is the clear and timeless challenge to respond rightly to Jesus, to interpret the signs and to settle your sin debt with God now. Uh, Christ has offered to take God's judgment fire due to you onto himself at the cross. And so, of course, the only thing to do is to make your peace with God before the day that Christ convenes his cosmic courtroom. Flee to the Saviour But don't just flee to him out of fear of the fire. Flee to him out of amazement that he loved you so much to take the fire that you deserved. You see, in Christ is the love that you've been looking for all your life. And it's a love that drove him to endure the very fire of God for you. That final day need not be a day of dread but of delight. Through trusting Christ now, you can look forward to the joyous renewal of all things rather than the destruction of everything that spoils all things. And the second strand of application is faith in Christ's judgment. Uh, If we are people who are trusting in Christ, uh, the question for us is, are we really interpreting the signs? Are we really responding rightly to Jesus, the judge of the whole earth? You see, intellectually, uh, we know that Jesus is the judge who will bring perfect justice at the final judgment. Uh, We know that on that final day, all wrongs will be righted. And yet, at an emotional and practical level, do we sometimes struggle to live that out? In one of my uh, previous ministry positions prior to coming to Cherrybrook, 
Uh, I was in a church where uh, we had a very difficult time with the, the senior leadership there. Uh, there were three people in particular who uh, were very unloving towards us and um, yeah, made life very difficult for both myself and for Tracy. Um, they abused their power and uh, we had a genuine case for grievance against them. Uh, when it came to me leaving that church, um, I had to decide how I would manage my relationship with them. And I invited each of them, each of those three people to meet with me and to talk about uh, what had happened in the, my time there. Um, two of them accepted that offer, one of them didn't. Uh, and so with the two who would, uh, I talked through um, everything that had happened in the two-year period. Uh, and I listed the things, all the things I was unhappy about, about their behavior and the way that I felt they had abused their authority. It was an opportunity for them to be reconciled, uh, to own their sin, uh, and to repent. Uh, they didn't do that, but they listened anyway to what I had to say. But at the end of the day, having exhausted what I felt were all means available to me to be reconciled to them and to give them the opportunity to repent, I then had to leave it with the Lord. And I found that uh, passage in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, of course, a key comfort in that situation. Uh, speaking of Jesus on the cross, uh, it says this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so in that situation, I was prepared to leave it thereafter and not to become bitter, uh, not to continue to have that grievance in my heart, but to leave Christ, leave it to Christ, to judge them justly and to bring justice in his time. And so the question we all have to ask as people trusting Christ is this, when we're faced with these sorts of situations, uh, do we find it hard to grant forgiveness to those who have wronged us? Uh, do we harbor bitterness against others who mistreat us? Uh, do we in reality struggle to trust Christ to bring a just judgment in his time. Because if we do experience these struggles, then it may point to a deeper underlying issue. You see, rather than trusting Christ to be the judge, are we in danger of actually appointing ourselves to become the judge? Rather than trusting Christ to bring justice in his time, we worry and we fret that it is all down to us to bring justice in our time. And if we do this, the reality is that we are appointing ourselves to a role for which we are not really qualified. And emotionally and psychologically, it will destroy us. The path back to peace is to renew our trust in the judge of all the earth and to rest in him to bring justice in his time, even if we have to wait until the final judgment day. And so we do focus afresh on the words of the risen Lord Jesus Christ in the penultimate verse of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And we in turn respond with the words of the Lord's people throughout the ages. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, let me pray for us, and then I'll open up to questions and comments. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, the judge of all the earth, the one who will bring justice, perfect justice, and renewal of all things. We do look forward to that day. And we pray that uh, until that day comes, we would live as people who are trusting in Christ, the one who is off to take the fire of your judgment for us. And may we also live uh, with peace in our hearts, particularly in the face of those who abuse us and mistreat us. Uh, may we take what steps we need to take to seek justice now. But when we have done that, may we leave it with you to bring justice in your time if we don't secure justice now. So we do pray that you would help this aspect of the gospel to be rooted deeply in our hearts for our benefit and for your glory. Amen.